Well, good morning. Welcome to ABC. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, today on campus, uh, we're actually having communion during all three services. We have services at 8, at 9, and at 1045. And um, if you'd like to join us, it's uh, not too late, unless, of course, you're watching this after those service times. Uh, but come on down, and uh, we're going to be taking communion as a church. Um, we're typically doing that on the second Sunday of every month. Um, and uh, if you haven't been on campus for a while, um, we'd love to have you worship with us. Um, it's always a pleasure to circle up with God's people on campus at ABC. And so again, our service times are at 8, 9, and 1045. Um, I wanted to mention a brief update about one of our missions partners before we get going this morning. Um, we've been partnering with this organization called Freedom Initiative Church, and they are planting churches inside of prisons over in uh, Kansas. And they've now planted a church on the outside of prison um, where they've got people who are returning citizens coming out of prison um, joining this church, and it's called the Freedom Initiative Church. And they're participating um, just like our church with worship and teaching, um, communion, and they've got some outreach to the local community, and they're training up um, some of these men and women that are coming out of incarceration um, to really be leaders in their community, and it's fantastic. It's an amazing ministry. Um, but the uh, exciting news is that about a month from now, so in the middle of August um, next month, they are going to launch their second church plant. And that's going to be in downtown Kansas City in the Quindaro District, where they've been rehabbing a building that's going to house some of the returning citizens. It's going to be a training center, a discipleship center for people who are wanting to go into ministry. Um, and then there's going to be a church that meets on the bottom floor um, in the worship center. And we're thrilled because this is really the first fruits of that partnership, seeing the church materialize in a way that it's actually planting churches now. And so they have uh, churches happening on the inside of prisons um, all across Missouri and Kansas, um, and then a church on the outside in Kansas City. City, and then they're working on a church plant on the outside in Wichita, and now we're planting this church with them um, in partnership downtown Kansas City in uh, Kundera District. And so we're thrilled about that, um, and here's the opportunity for you to partner with them. Um, firstly, we're going to take a team back in August to celebrate that launch. If you feel led and uh, want to be a part of that trip, um, we would love for you to come alongside of us. Um, you can just uh, give us a call at the church office. Um, you can give me a call. You can email me, jeff at abcchurch.org, um, and we'll talk about the details of that trip. Um, but secondly, we're gonna try to help them get across the finish line for this building to get some of the finish work done. They're doing a security system and finishing up sound systems in that worship center. Um, they've got some baseboards and some flooring and um, some furniture needs. And so just a few more things to get that building completely done by the middle of August. Um, and they're trying to raise uh, close to $50,000. And we've worked with a couple of other churches back there in Kansas City to partner with them. Um, and there's a church, another organization that's going to partner with them that has um, agreed to contribute $25,000. Um, and we'd like to match that. If we can match their $25,000, we'll get this Freedom Initiative Church across the finish line and get them uh, in that building and uh, having church every Sunday. And we're thrilled about this opportunity. So if you would uh, like to partner with us financially in that, you can give to the GoFund. And if you happen to be on campus, um, you can always do that on the envelope. There's a GoFund designation on the giving envelopes. Um, otherwise, online, if you go to abcchurch.org and click Give, 
there's a drop down and you can click the GoFund in that giving page. And then you can just put a memo, Freedom Initiative Church, or you can just say Kansas City Church Plant. We'll know what that's for. We'll make sure it gets designated and goes specifically to that church plant. Um, and we would love to help them raise money um, to finish up this project and get that church off the ground. So um, with that, I'd love to pray and jump into our message in uh, the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for all the work that you're doing at ABC. Lord, thank you for the ways that you've allowed for us to partner with other churches, other church planting organizations. And we're really grateful for the Freedom Initiative Church. Lord, thank you for Matt Thomas and his leadership there. Thank you for Pastor Will and Pastor Abe, who are going to be planting this church. I ask, Lord, that you'd go before them, that you would prepare them, and that you would inspire them, God, to do the work that you've called them to do. And may our partnership with them be be an encouragement. Uh, May we become Barnabas for them, to really just love them well and stand beside them as they um, fulfill the calling you've placed on their life. Lord, as we jump into your word, I ask that you'd speak to us now and that we would hear what you have to share with us, that we would listen well, and that we would leave with a clear understanding of what you want for us as your children. In your precious name I pray, amen. Well, this morning's passage, um, Jesus is going to say, when you fast, that's how the passage starts, uh, implying that we're fasting. And uh, if you're like me, you come up to a passage like this and, and go, okay, well, was I supposed to be fasting? Um, and then you might ask yourself um, where the command in Scripture is to fast. And so a little Bible trivia this morning. Um, if you know where the commandment is, um, go ahead and turn to that. And there's no way for you to let me know that you found it. Um, but you could send an email and maybe we'd give you some bonus points or something like that. I don't know. Uh, go look and see where it says to fast, the commandment in Scripture. In fact, if you've got your phone, you could go ahead and uh, Google it or get your Bible app open and search the commandment to fast. Well, the spoiler alert is there is no commandment in Scripture to fast. It's not commanded. You'd think that it was in you know, maybe the Old Testament back in Deuteronomy or Leviticus were walking through all these different rules and laws and regulations that there's certainly something in Scripture about fasting, but it's just not there. And so when we come up against a passage like this, and Jesus is saying, when you fast, I'm wondering when we were supposed to have learned that routine, and yet I realize that there's one very compelling reason for us to fast in Scripture— And that is, very simply, that Jesus fasted. And if I am living my life to become more like Jesus, if my goal as a disciple of Christ is to become more like him, then I want to follow his example and I will fast because he fasted. Fast for he fasted. Matthew chapter 4 verse 2, as Jesus goes out into the wilderness, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus fasted. And then we read in John chapter 8 that whoever follows me, Jesus says, will not walk in darkness, but will have light. That if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to walk in his light, then we do as he does. We follow his example. We fast because he fasted. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, um, really this is a a how-to. It's not a why. And we'll look at that in a minute. Um, But turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 16, and follow along as I read. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Clearly this passage follows suit with what we've looked at last couple of weeks. Jesus said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, He's taking some of these spiritual disciplines, the things that people were rhythmically doing in the Jewish society and culture, and he's saying, when you do this, this is how I want you to do it. This is the heart behind why you're doing it, the posture that Jesus is calling us to. But he clearly assumes in this passage that we're fasting. He assumes that we're already doing it. Not a command to do it, but an assumption that we would already be doing it. Have you ever signed up for a class uh, or maybe started a new job? And you go the first day and the professor or maybe the the supervisor, they just make an assumption that you're already doing something. Well, clearly um, you're doing this if you've got this job or you're taking this class. I remember signing up for a a music production class years ago online. And I went to the first uh, online lecture and the professor started in talking about how we listen to music and making some assumptions about how those of us in the class would be listening to music. And he said, of course, if you're taking this class, you'd be listening to two or three full albums a day because anyone who's anyone in music would listen at least to that amount of music a day and consume it regularly so that you have a good feel and pulse on the the world of music. And I remember sitting there thinking, like two or three albums all the way through each day. You know, but you are, <laughs> you're compelled to sort of say like, well, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, I listen to four or five, you know, I mean, two or three is nothing. But you realize as they're talking that you're supposed to be doing something that maybe you're not doing. And that's sort of how I feel when I come up to this passage and Jesus says, when you fast, I have this pause of like, of course I'm fasting, Jesus. It's Wednesday. I'll probably be, no, Friday's my next day. I'm definitely fasting. Yes, we see Jesus assuming that everyone's doing it and we realize that it's part of the rhythm that he's planning on us participating in. And so when I come up to this passage, I, I, I really want to ask the question, why? Why would we be fasting? Because I, my guess is, my assumption is that probably a lot of us are not doing that, that we haven't necessarily established a rhythm, consistency with fasting. This is the forgotten discipline, but we fast for he fasts. So let's look at why, some of the reasons, the biblical reasons why you should fast or why you should at least consider fasting. The first one's preparation. And that's one of the prime examples of fasting in scripture. I referred to Matthew chapter four, where Jesus is preparing for his earthly ministry, the three short years he's gonna have on earth. It says, then Jesus in Matthew four was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus prepared for his ministry by fasting. He was gonna endure ridicule, abandonment, slander, beating, even death. And so Jesus fasted, he heightened his senses He tuned his ear to the voice of the Father by abstaining from food. And wouldn't you know that Satan himself would go after that exact physical circumstance for Jesus. His temptation would start with, are you hungry, Jesus? Why don't you turn these rocks into some bread? I'm thinking as I read this, like if I'm Jesus, there's no way. I'm going to say, Satan, you fool. If I'm going to turn rocks 
into food, it's certainly not gonna be bread. I make like tri-tip or mahi-mahi or something. But Jesus was preparing something, fixing his heart and mind on the very thing that would sustain his earthly life. It was the word of God, focusing on his father, on hearing from his father, on receiving from his father, being sustained. And it reminds me of the first example of fasting in scripture, going all the way back to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. Moses is receiving from God. Moses is preparing to receive from God. And so in chapter 34, verse 28, it says, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablet the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses, in preparation for the ministry God was doing through him, for delivering these commandments to the people of God, fasted. He skipped food and apparently water too, which is surprising because you've always heard that you can't go 40 days without water. That's beside the point. We won't go there. But Moses fasted in preparation, tuning his heart to the voice of God, to the work of God, and allowing for God alone to sustain him in preparation. Now, these are historically profound moments, right? You're not uh, going into the wilderness to prepare for um, the ministry that you're going to do in three years' time and save the world the way Jesus did. You're not receiving the Ten Commandments from God on a hilltop like Moses was. But if they were setting aside their sustenance, if they were abstaining from food for the purpose of hearing and receiving and relying on God, then ought we not follow that example in preparation? The things that we need to prepare for, the things we want to be ready for, the circumstances that God will bring, the ministry that we'd like to be equipped for can be prepared in a season of fasting. And then we see God provide direction by fasting. There's this amazing example of Daniel when he's going to bat for the people of Israel. He's petitioning to God for the people of Israel. He's begging for forgiveness, for healing. In Daniel chapter 9, um, it says, well, let me just read it. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel's preparing, he's listening, he's fasting, he's praying. He's turning his face to the Lord. He's seeking direction. He's saying, God, speak. God, lead. And then in verse 22, here's what it says after he spent that season of fasting and prayer. It says, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. I love that response, that God joins Daniel in his season of listening for direction, desiring wisdom and insight, petitioning for the people. And then God says, I have received, I've heard your cry. I've heard your prayer. Now I'm going to give you direction. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to show you what's next. I'm going to open this vision for you so that you can understand how to move forward. There's no better way to hear from God than to turn off every outside voice. That's what it means to tune your ear, to listen well. 
And honestly, it makes a great case for content fasting. Have you ever heard of that content fasting? Eliminating some of the content in your world? You know, it's hard to hear God, much less yourself, when every other voice in your world is so loud. When people are screaming their own opinions at you. You just need to turn it off sometimes. Uh, Social media gets a bad rap. That's maybe one of the prime examples. But there are other things. In fact, some things that maybe are even more prominent, like the news, like the radio, like blogs, or, or even TV shows, or my content of choice, podcasts. I fill almost every spare moment with earbuds in on when I'm riding back and forth to, to church um, or when I'm just working out in the yard on a Saturday with podcasts, daily podcasts, content. People are telling me all the things they think about the world. Filling my mind and filling my space and time with others' opinions. And I think we do well to turn it off. It doesn't have to always be off, but for seasons, to turn it off, to fast, to say, I wanna specifically hear from God. I wanna hear myself think for a second. I wanna know what God thinks for a minute rather than what everyone else thinks. If you were to come and ask me for direction, ask me for wisdom to say, where should I go with this particular decision? What, what, should I, what should I do to follow and honor God with this circumstance? I would ask you if you'd take an intentional time to listen to God. It's critically important. So we fast for direction. We fast by eliminating distractions and allowing God to speak. And then there are these unplanned, less intentional seasons of fasting that we also see in Scripture. Moments that that we can be driven to fast based on our circumstances, maybe emergent even, particularly for safety or for protection. There's this uh, great line in the book of Ezra, chapter 8, where Ezra's preparing to lead this remnant of Israel back up to build the temple. And so he's going to take this journey through this um, this foreign land, and and he's asking for God to provide and to protect. And so here's what Ezra says in chapter 8, verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. And then he goes on and he says, because I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, Because we had told the king that the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. And so Ezra says, I fasted before God because I wasn't going to ask for help from the king's army because that would be counter to what I'd already told him that my God would protect, my God would provide, he would lead us there with safety. And so then I fasted, then I called out to God for protection, trusting and believing that he would move. I think uh, of a parent's response in the midst of danger or unknown, maybe anxiety for their children. Uh, Imagine hearing a parent, I'm sure you've heard something like this before, saying, I can't sleep and I won't eat until I know my child is safe. Whether they're traveling or whether they're out (laughs) later than they should have been or whatever the circumstance, 
there's this natural kind of human innate response to fast in the midst of danger or uncertainty when we're desiring protection. And I don't know if that's an unhealthy response. I don't know if it's bad to allow for the way God designed our physical bodies to say, I I can't eat right now. I can't sleep right now until I know that so-and-so is safe or until I know we're beyond this danger, beyond this circumstance. I think it's part of the way God designed it. I think what at the core of what we're saying or what we should be saying is food cannot sustain me in the midst of these circumstances, but God can. That's a holy response. I will not be comforted by food, so I must by God. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to abstain until I hear from God, till I receive, till I get the answers that I'm looking for. Protection. And Ezra prefaces this fast by saying that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey. That's the heart of a, of a humble servant fasting for God to move. It's as basic and prayerful as fasting gets. Safe travels for ourselves, our kids, and our goods the way Ezra says it, just so simple. How many times have you prayed, God, protect our travels, our children, and our stuff? Just very, very basic, innate human response to what God has put in front of us. And then there's the things that don't go quite as planned. Yeah, there's fasting for protection, hoping that things will work out the way that we desire, prayerful about those things. But then there's times when things don't work out the way that we hoped. And those bring seasons of grief. And that's another human response to, to a circumstance is fasting in the midst of grief. That's the fourth example there. Um, I, think, I think of this story where Elijah is, he goes up this mountain and challenges the prophet's Baal. I don't have time to go into the whole story. But it's fascinating. You can read about it in um, 1 Kings chapter 19. But but, but Elijah challenges the prophets. There was uh, these um, pagan prophets that had infiltrated Israel through the, the leadership of Ahab. It's, a, again, a long story. But he takes on these prophets and ultimately ends up slaughtering them. And he really angers the king's wife. Her name was Jezebel. And so Jezebel starts to pursue Elijah. She wants to take his life. She wants to get rid of him because of what he did to the prophets of Baal. And so Elijah ends up running for his life with a death threat. And he hides in the wilderness and he becomes discouraged and depressed and overcome with grief. Look at what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Should have marked this one. Sorry, guys. 19 verse 4 says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, There was at his head cake baked and hot stones and a jar of water. So Elijah, in the midst of his grief, in his depression, in his discouragement, he's fleeing his life. 
and he camps out under a tree and he says, God, just take my life. I don't even have a will to live, much less a will to eat. And we see this natural response of Elijah not eating during the midst of, uh, of depression, during the midst of grief, fasting in grief. And yet God meets him there and God speaks to him there and God provides and the angel comes and wakes up Elijah and says, wake up, eat, you need to eat, you need to sustain yourself. And so he realizes in that moment that God is actually providing for him. God is protecting him. God is leading him. And he has this overwhelming sense of the presence of God as he moves forward. It's a beautiful story. Um, Then there's this example of David hearing news that his child is going to die. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, um, David's sin, and you're aware of his sin with Bathsheba. That's a story, you know, that's well known. Um, And Bathsheba conceives a child and... David's confronted by Nathan about this sin. And Nathan actually tells him that the son he's conceived with Bathsheba is going to die as a result of his sin. And so David throws himself to the floor and he refuses to eat for days in grief, feeling the pain of sin and grieving the loss of a child. In the midst of grief, David fasts and he calls out to the Lord. And the only thing that can sustain him The only thing that can carry him through the grief is the presence of God, not food, not water, not content, not any other comfort, but from God himself. And we see in this example that not only does fasting in the midst of grief remind us of the presence of God, but grief also reminds us of the desire or the need to repent. And so it leads to repentance. And that's the fifth and final example of fasting in the midst of repentance. When David's heart is struck with this holy and spiritual conviction, this contrite brokenness over his sin, he fasts. When the people of Nineveh believed that God, uh, that God needed uh, righteousness of them, they repented and they fasted. In, in Joel, when he calls out the people of Israel, He calls the people of Israel to return to God. It says they returned to God and they fasted, continually fasting with repentance, continually returning to God, returning to the presence of God with this fast, abstaining from food to show God that he's the only thing that can sustain them. Fasting accompanies repentance, but it also paves the way for repentance. That when we peel away some of these self-reliant tendencies, some of the things that we do on an ongoing basis to feed ourselves, to soothe ourselves or medicate ourselves, when we take those things away, to strip them away and realize the core heart sin issues, the necessity of God's forgiveness, God's love, God's transformation of our heart, that's when real repentance happens. Fasting peels away these layers of self-reliance. It opens the window to our need, our insufficiency, and our offense. We realize that we're demonstrating this captivity to nothing but Christ when we fast. You know, the, the interesting thing is there's a fine line between captivity and freedom. And we think that we have total freedom, right? As Christians, we have freedom to eat or to drink or to consume whatever we want to consume. And we think that that's freedom. 
until we realize that the very freedom we're expressing by consuming the thing that we want to consume becomes bondage and that we're actually bound to or captive to the food or the drink or the content. And there wasn't any freedom at all. And so by removing that for a period of time, for a season, by fasting from the food or the drink or the content, we can demonstrate the ultimate captivity to Christ and to Christ alone and realize that he is the only thing we're bound to. There's a, there's a resource uh, by Richard Foster. This is probably the, um, the best textbook on spiritual disciplines. It's called The Celebration of Discipline. And um, I've learned so much from Foster about um, fasting. And he gives a, a really clear description of this concept in terms of where our heart is and allowing for God to reveal some of the sins of our heart through fasting. He writes um, in this book, The Celebration of Discipline, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it'll be revealed almost immediately. David writes, I'm humbled my soul with fasting in Psalm 69 verse 10. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first we'll rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger and then we'll realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in the knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. You see, these things surface when we decide to abstain. We take a season away from the content, away from the food, away from the drink, and we say, I'm going to rely only on Christ. Then you see these things from within our heart start to surface. Anger comes to the surface and you think, well, I'm angry because I don't have food. No, you're angry because there's a spirit of anger in you driven by your flesh, driven by the enemy that God wants to purge from you to cleanse from you, to restore you and renew you with ultimate healing. That's the point of fasting. That's why we fast, to become more like Jesus. We've said a dozen times in the last few weeks that this is a heart issue, but it rings so true in this passage in Matthew chapter 6 that this is a heart issue. As he says, don't be like the hypocrites, as he says, don't do this just to be seen by others. As he says, don't, don't try to make a grandstand. Allow for your father who sees in secret to reward you in secret. You realize that Jesus is not at all interested in these heartless deeds, not interested in a rhythmic religion, things that just are done to be done. Done because they're tradition. Done because everyone before us has done them. Or because it's what's expected of us from a society standpoint. No, don't do those things just to do them. Do them because you want to allow God to transform your heart. And so Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. If you want a reward, then do it in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's like we talked about last week with prayer. God sees you. He hears you and he knows you in secret. You don't need to do it out in the street corner. When you fast, it's a private act between you and your father, and he will lead you. He will direct you. He will prepare you. He will pr protect you. He'll meet you in your grief. He'll lead you to repentance. 
Fast for he fasted. Fast for Jesus joins you in the hunger. He joins you in the circumstances. His heart aches with you. His heart longs for the Father to lead you and to meet you. In Isaiah chapter 58, I'll just close with this. There's a a rebuke of the people of Israel where uh, God is, is saying the fast, the act of the fast, the religious um, rhythm is not honoring. It's not helpful. And so he says, if, 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 you're, if you're trying to pursue righteousness, then why don't you start doing righteous things? Why don't you start loving your neighbor? Why don't you start helping the poor? That would be a righteous religion. And so he, he goes through this whole passage and calls the people of Israel to a higher standard, a heart standard. Listen to what he says. 58 verse 3. He says, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and take no knowledge of it? So this is Isaiah saying to God, How come you haven't noticed our fasting? And then in verse 6, God says, this is God's response. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Isn't that the fast I desire that you would do righteousness, that you wouldn't have these hollow, empty religious acts? Why don't you go do what I've called you to do in obedience? That's the kind of fast I want. And then in verse eight, he says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. If you obey, if you lean in, if your heart is in it, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. That's the results of the heart-filled fast. It's the fruit of what Jesus is talking about. Not, not like the hypocrites, but a, but a secret, quiet, private place with God would be fruitful, that God will say, here I am. I'm going to show up. I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to join you. You shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. I think it's clear as we walk through scripture and, and look at dozens of examples of fasting, that for those who call on the name of the Lord and eliminate the other voices, eliminate the other provision and the other sustenance, God will meet them. He will be faithful. He will show up. He'll honor your request. And so we fast, not only because Jesus fasted, but because it provides for us preparation. It provides for us protection, direction. We can fast in the midst of grief, and it'll lead us to repentance. And that's where our heart begins to change, where God peels away the layers of self-reliance and we can lean in and become more like him. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that you outlined some of these spiritual disciplines for us. That you, you've given examples in your word of how and when these things can be helpful. That you've given us warnings, places to stay away from, seasons to 
to fast and not to fast, reasons not to. And God, we admit that we're simple-minded, and um, so when we see others do things and um, think that we ought to do them as well, we're prone to do them for the wrong reasons. So would you cure us from that? Lord, would you show us the right way to practice the discipline of prayer, of fasting, of giving? Would you show us the way to lean in in the secret quiet places to hear from you? Would you meet us there? And would you reward us, God, for seeking you with a genuine and authentic heart? Lord, you're good. In your precious name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, Have a fantastic Sunday, and we hope to see you back on campus someday soon.